It is Wednesday, and it's time for another edition of the pregame podcast. I am Dan Zaleski. My co-host, Kalen Wolfskill, is actually on vacation this week. He and his wife went to the beach uh, for a big old week-long vacation. And because of that, it's just me alone here, so I'm not going to bore you with any type of goofy little intro or anything. We're going to get right into the action, right into what we're talking about today. We're talking MLB predictions with Ian. We also have Hunter on the show to talk about the culture of NASCAR. Plus, Kalen and I do talk a little bit about what some NBA teams could look like if they were playing players from their prime. All that coming up on this edition of the pregame podcast. Enjoy, guys. Now, originally, we were hoping to do this segment way back in March when the MLB was supposed to happen. But of course, the universe had other decisions. But we are doing it now. Joining me at this moment, Ian Roth. Ian, welcome back to the pregame. You know, you've always been our baseball expert. So I thought if we're going to do a prediction segment for the upcoming MLB season, you have to be involved. You know what? You were just saying how we usually do this in February. If we were still doing MUTVs in the zone, we'd be doing this last December. <laughs> yeah, we had we, a weird habit. We'd have a weird habit of just way being way too early on all of our sports. I mean, wouldn't you like to add to your reel that you called, you know, a World Series winner 14 months in advance or something like that? I would love that, actually. You know, it's a funny story. I called the Cubs winning the World Series in 2016 when I was in high school. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. When you're in high school? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When I was a junior in high school, I was talking to my because my friend Kaylee texted me as soon as the Cubs won the World Series. She's like, you literally called this junior year. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> I, had, I had a whole conversation with her and another one of my friends about how the Cubs were like going to be really good and they're probably going to win in the next few years. And then <laughs> they, they happened. I had totally forgot about it. And then she texted me the night they won. I was like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I have my own little kind of magic touch when it comes to baseball postseason because I remember, you know, you bring up in the zone the old college show we used to do. I think at the beginning of the postseason, I called uh, Royals and Five. For our freshman yeah. year, way back in the day, our junior yes. year, I believe I called Cubs in seven. And I know it was on, I think it was like in July when you Darvish got traded to the Dodgers. I put something on on Facebook about like, oh, well, great. I can't believe the Dodgers are going to lose in seven to the Astros now. And that happened that year. I don't know. I think I'm up there with you, Ian. Of course, you have a lot more knowledge. I'm just kind of running on pure luck, though. No, see, I think you're in a better spot than I am, though, because I think way too much. Because I know too much, I actually know less. <laughs> you just, you're you just know? like, you're just like. Listen, I I've read 14 tweets about how the batting stance and the swing angle of you know of of Juan Soto has been adjusted by four degrees in this direction, and that means he's going to hit an extra two home runs this season, and that means, and then you know. I've seen four different scouts talking about how Bartolo Colon has lost six pounds. That means there's a half a mile an hour difference on his fastball. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, if anybody's still <laughs> keeping track, he is still a free agent. I hope that Big Sexy can do whatever he wants. If he still wants to play baseball, I hope there's a spot for him somewhere. Big Sexy's on the uh, – he's almost on the uh, – what's the list? The, uh, the at-risk list. He should be staying home. <laughs> He's getting yeah. to that age now. It's time for him to just not go out in public. Yeah, they're just going around. Like any any team they're signed to, they're like, listen, you have to really follow the protocol, okay? We we happen to pick Jamie. up we picked up a geriatric on the team and you know that that has some consequences. Jamie Moyer would never make it in today's MLB. <laughs> this year at least. They'd be like, Jamie, you're fifty five, you gotta stay home. Oh my gosh. But Anyway, Ian. we are talking baseball today. Yeah, we, we are talking baseball. Opening day is tomorrow as of the the show coming out, which is incredibly exciting. I'm sure you're pumped and ready to go for it, ready to watch your Phillies maybe do something with this short maybe season. Maybe 3-12 in the first two weeks and then the season be over. Uh, something like that. But how about we talk about just baseball as a whole? So we did this with F1. For anyone who didn't catch our F1 breakdown, basically what's going to happen, we're going to make a couple of predictions. There's some points related to it. And then when this is all wrapped up, 
we're going to take this off the shelf, go back and talk about some of our answers and just see how smart or possibly how dumb we have been <laughs> thinking back at the beginning of the season. So, Ian, are you ready to make your locked in predictions, your your predictions that will be recorded in the history of time? The latest prediction segment we've ever done. Let's get it started. All right. So, well, first off, it's going to be nice and easy for three points. What team's going to have the best record at the end of this regular season? We're only got 60 games. Hot streaks are going to be a major thing, but someone's got to be number one at the end of it. The, the best record probably is going to go to the Dodgers. All right. I, I would think. I think if you're looking at the best all-round team in baseball, it's the Dodgers. Uh, a couple years back, I don't know if you remember, Dan, the Dodgers went like something crazy, like 60 and 6 in the last two months of the season to make the postseason. You remember that year? I think I do, yeah. The Dodgers, as a team, have this weird affinity for going on these ridiculous stretches of like a month and a half and two months where they just never seem to lose. And they just, they've had the best team, I think, this year they've ever had in the last, I don't know, six or seven years. And they've had some good teams in the last few years. So I, I think it's, I think it would be them. Um, that's my official pick. I wouldn't count out the Yankees if you're keeping score at home. I also wouldn't count a team like, the Rays out because I think when you look at best record in this short amount of time, it's going to have to ride on pitching. And if you can't throw shutdown pitching for two months, then it's going to be tough to do that. Yeah. And I swear I, I have all my answers written down. I'm not copying you. I also am going with the Dodgers for best record at the end of the regular season. But, I think, I think yeah. a lot of people do, Dan. Mm -hmm. I just, I think the Dodgers and the Yankees are the just two by by far the two best teams in Major League Baseball. I mean, you can make it a case, you can make a case for other teams, but as for the two, no doubt best teams, it's got to be those two. From the absolute top of the mountain to the team that's trending in the right direction for five points, we're going to be predicting what team is going to have the largest improvement to their win percentage compared to last season. Ian, who do you have for having the biggest improvement this season when you look at their win percentage? This is probably actually one of the harder questions because baseball is such a, a finicky sport where, like, really anybody could be up there. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're, it's not going to be the Orioles. I'll tell you that much. Oh, it's of not course. Be that. <laughs> well, especially with how the schedules are. Yeah. It's not going to be the Pirates either. So, uh, counting them out. I think the best team that's going to improve is probably the White Sox. Okay, okay. Why do you think the White Sox are going to improve the most compared to last season? The White Sox went ham in the offseason. They went absolutely balls to the wall getting Grandal, which was a huge pickup. I love their young stars. I think Luis Roberts amazing. Uh, Eloy Jimenez is so, so good. Tim Anderson's actually becoming a star on that team. Uh, Lucas Giolito is right on the edge. Lucas Giolito almost gives me Jack Flaherty vibes where, like, if he could just tweak his stuff just a hair – he could be amazing. And if you remember last year, Lucas Giolito went on that unreal stretch of time in the beginning of the season where he was just lights out Steven Strasburg stuff. Oh, so yeah. I do think that the White Sox are probably going to make a run at that division. I think they'll be up there, and I think they'll be in the mix for the first few weeks, maybe the first three weeks or so. But I, I think that in the end, they will be the most improved team. If I didn't have to pick them or if I had to pick a National League team, I would definitely say the Reds. The Reds did a great job on their pitching staff. Sonny Gray is kind of like Sonny Gray of old again. That pitching staff is deceptively good, and they got some great hitters there in Cincinnati that really know how to get the job done. Nobody ever pays attention to Cincinnati anymore. I remember back in the day, 2011, 2012, they were the powerhouse in the NL Central, but since then they've gone downhill. But nowadays you got these young stars in Cincinnati that like really know what they're doing, I, led by Eugenio Suarez, who was – an absolute monster at third base. Who, oh, of course. If you didn't, who, if you didn't have Rendon or Arenado in the league, he would be your league's best third baseman. I think, who was the other guy there? That was, uh, Jose Aquino. I, I'm saying his name right. It's uh, not Jose, Aristes Aquino, who's the guy they got last year that went on like, get like 20 home runs in like two weeks when he came up. He's going to be really good too. So uh, I think the Reds can make a, a nice little, little run at most improved, but I think the White Sox may take that cake. Well, I'm actually going to go with the Reds on this one because 
I'm looking at it this way. Okay, the Reds have been trending upwards. You have teams like the yeah. Cubs who are kind of trying to figure out where they're sitting. You got the Cardinals that I feel like, you know, are not the the kings and the the constant powerhouse of the NL Central as they were as you mentioned, you know, way back when the the Reds were a reasonable team to look at. I mean, you know, as you mentioned, I'm terrible with names, of course. Aquino as is it pronounced Aquino? Aristides Aquino. Aristides Aquino. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be able to be a player that they're going to put in that starting role now since they no longer have Puig, since Puig's now playing in Atlanta. Suarez is coming off of hitting the second most home runs in baseball last season. So that's a massive power bat. How can you hate Joey Votto on top of that? And as you mentioned, you know, the improvements in pitching. So you're going to go with the AL Central team. I'm going to go with the NL Central team in this one. In the Reds, you're getting the White Sox. I I will say no matter what, I think both of us have a pretty good shot at getting this, mainly because... Well, at the end of the day, both the Reds and the White Sox get to play the AL Central a lot. And when you get to play a bunch of games against the Tigers and you get to play a bunch of games against the Royals, it probably is going to inflate your uh, your record a little bit, at least a little. You would hope so. You would hope that <laughs> the team like the Reds or the White Sox would, would play those uh, opponents accurately. But being a Phillies fan my whole life and just watching the Phillies get swept by the Marlins all the time, boy, you just hope they're better than them. <laughs> Well, since we were talking a little bit about Suarez and his ability to, you know, hit the long ball, the next question that we're going to be talking about for five points is which player is going to hit the most home runs during the short and regular season. Now, my pick for this one, it's going to be the defending NL MVP in Cody Bellinger. I'm probably going to hear something about Pete Alonso from you if I'm if I'm guessing since, you know, he did lead the league last year, you know, in his rookie campaign. But I think uh, Cody Bellinger is going to be my pick. I think the Dodgers are going to be extremely dominant, and that's going to allow Bellinger to get to a hot, confident start. So he's my pick there, but who are you picking for most home runs? You're going to actually hate me for this pick because it's going to seem super biased. Okay. I actually think Bryce Harper. I actually think he has a really good chance. I do think Bryce Harper can lead the league in home runs this year. I think his second year in Philadelphia, he's found his comfort zone. He was not bad last year. And we all know that he can carry a team. And he did for the Nationals back when he won the MVP in that second half. I mean, he was on fire. So we're going to dump this guy right into the second half. I do think that he has a solid chance to lead the National League in home runs. If I had to pick somebody else, I would pick El Gary. I think Gary Sanchez is a crazy, crazy hitter. I was just talking to my friend Luke yesterday. I said, if the Yankees were able to pick up a defensive catcher and move Gary to the designated hitter role, he'd be the scariest designated hitter in, in American League Baseball. Is it close between those two, but I think Bryce Harper has a chance to lead the league in home runs. I think it's interesting that the two players you named are both not even in the top 10 for last season in home runs. No, I, and you know what, Dan? I don't think you can – I think in a normal year you can go and do the – like, let's look at last year. Let's look at this year. Let's look at some guys that are coming up that have some big power. I don't think that you can do this year. This year, I think this year you have to look at who can get hot quick and who can stay hot. Who's going to come out of the gate swinging? Who's going to be able to carry a team? I think those are the players you have to look at. There's going to be a lot of X factors this season that we've never seen before in Major League Baseball. So going with stuff from the past would help us if we were in March and April, but I don't think it'll help this year. Okay. I can't fault you. You know, we talked about this before on the show. Home runs are going to be a very interesting stat to look at because there are yeah. a lot of players that need a lot of at-bats in order to lock in and, you know, have a, a good push in the second half. But we don't really have a second half. We just have the one half we're getting. So Yeah, no. <laughs> You're right. You're so right. A question that I've never asked you before. I don't think I've ever had you predict this on any program that you and I have ever worked together on. How many times during the regular season will we see the benches clear? I'm going to say two to five. You got you got to pick one number, okay? It's five points to the closest person. You got to pick a number. Three. You're going to pick in three? Okay. And I don't think anybody touches anybody. I don't think anybody lays a hand on anybody. But I do think three times the benches will empty and then that they will probably yell and scream and then just be like, wait, this kind of sucks. And then they will go back inside. <laughs> Well, I I can't like that. People are going to get so wrapped up and heated in it. Like, I just don't see how they don't clear at least once. You know, like I, they're going to clear. You're not going to tell these uber and competitive people to stay in their benches the whole time, if people, especially if people are getting pegged. Of course. And I actually have I, I have an entire I thought about this way longer than I should have. I actually have a whole <laughs> like breakdown of how this is going to function, like how it's going to work. So uh, you're locking in for three. I'm locking in for two. OK, which I know means that. 
you know, you basically would win it if you if there's four, five, <laughs> six, seven, eight, the rest of the world, right? But I'm picking two because I think it happens once, okay, somewhat early. Yeah. For whatever reason, okay, it could involve the Astros, it could not involve the Astros, it's whatever. But it happens once. Major League Baseball says, hey, guys, we can't be doing that, you know, because COVID and all that stuff, we can't be doing that, okay? Just telling you guys now, stop that. And then it happens one more time, then Major League Baseball enforces some really, really heavy punishment of some kind because of it. Like four years in jail or some (laughs) some crazy Something completely ridiculous, and then all the teams are like, oh, oh, they're not playing. They're they're real. And then from then on, (laughs) it's clean the whole way out. (laughs) So it happens it happens once the MLB gives a warning and then it happens again and then the MLB is like all right the first like five people off of each bench you guys are suspended for half the season now and all this stuff and yeah we're shutting it all down you're not doing it at all so that that's my thought Hilarious. process as you could tell I thought about it way too long <laughs> No you definitely did but I I love your reasoning I love it actually Well thank you So the next one is actually maybe an an interesting concept because It isn't something that would normally happen in a season. So we're going to be guessing how many teams will have at least 40 wins this season, which, if it was a full-length season, is equivalent to 108 wins, which is a lot of wins, way more than than would ever normally happen. And on a full scale, it would be pretty hard to say that any team would reach that point. But for a shortened season where teams could get hot, do you think there's going to be any team that reaches the 40-win season mark? So you're going to get two points if you get any right answers, one point if you get a wrong answer, and if there's a team that makes 40 wins that you don't name, you're going to lose a point as well there. So I think, uh, actually, Dan, I think a lot of teams make 40 wins. Okay, so you, you think that the streakiness of the season is going to make it so teams kind of have this abnormally high win percentage? I actually think that there's a good chance that either the Dodgers or the Yankees achieve 50 wins. Okay, well, how about this? You tell me every team that you think is going to get at least 40. All right, we'll start in the American League then. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> for, for the record, I only put two teams down, but continue. Wow, you have no faith. No I, faith in Major League Baseball players. I just think it's going to be a close season, okay? I think it's going to be close and I gritty. Think, here, I'll tell you this. I think the American League is definitely the worst league. The American League stinks. I think... <laughs> I think that there's a couple teams that jump off the bat. Yankees are going to get 40 wins. I don't see how they don't get 40 wins. I'd I'd actually be disappointed if the Yankees got less than 40 wins. I think the Twins have a solid chance. I think they might get 39, but I would not be surprised if they hit 40 and 20. I think no team in the AL West, maybe the Astros, gets 40 wins. Maybe. So are we locking in the Astros or no? I'm going to lock in... Yeah, we'll be ballsy. Yankees, Twins, Astros. All right. So that's for the American League side. What about the National League? I think for the National League, I think the Dodgers get 40 wins. I think the Cardinals get 40 wins. I think both the Nationals and the Braves get 40 wins. Oh, my God, my man. You, What are you doing? We ha- <laughs> The Cardinals, the Bra- Braves, these are teams that I would have never – Never expected to have like forty wins in a sixty game season, but you're you're really right. Dan, the Braves were the second easiest pick of that whole National League. You you think it's the second? Okay, for the National League. Well, I mean, Dodgers are obviously the easiest pick. Dodgers the easiest. Braves was the second easiest. Okay. NL Central's NL Central's going to be a bloodbath again. Uh, I yeah. Just, and this time, not only is it a three horse race like last year, it was the Cardinals, the Cubs, and the Brewers. Now you throw in the Reds. Like, now the Reds really aren't that bad. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, like, and that pitching staff can mess your day up. Like, you could get Trevor Bauer, you could get Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo in a three-game series, and that's scary. I mean, that's that's a tough, tough weekend. That's like almost facing the race. That's like getting, you know, Blake Snell, Charlie Morton, Tyler Glassnell, and you're like, oh, that would stink. Yeah. That's what makes the Rays so good, and that's what could have made the Rays really good in the postseason. Like, in a short series, the Rays could have been really good. And I would watch out for the Rays, too. But those four in the National League, Nationals, Braves, Cardinals, and the Dodgers. Now, the Nationals are interesting because the Nationals are going to ride their pitching. I think the Nationals have the best pitching staff in Major League Baseball. I think a lot of people would agree with me on that one. But losing Rendon is tough. Losing Rendon is really tough, actually. I mean, Rendon was the guy that... Not, I mean, he he essentially carried them 
in the postseason. There were multiple times where Rendon was the catalyst for that team. So I think if the Nationals do get 40 wins, it'll be on like the last possible day. I think that it's crazy for you to say that seven teams of the 30 in baseball are going to eclipse 40 wins. I mean, I agree with you on some of them. I agree with the Dodgers. I agree with the Yankees. Those are obviously the two favorites overall. I think they definitely can get there. I just, I don't, (laughs) there's such a, or there is not the only, let me go back to the American league. I'm looking at a spreadsheet right now. Are are you rethinking this? (laughs) No, the only two competitive leagues are the AL East, barely the NL central. And then if you're super analytical, you can make a case for the AL West, but that's it. I mean, that's it. Okay. The Yankees are going to, beat up on the Orioles, they're going to beat up on the Red Sox, and they're definitely going to beat up on the Blue Jays. The Twins are going to wreak havoc in the AL Central because, oh, the Royals are going to put up a fight? The Tigers are going to put up a fight for the Twins? I mean, come on. You know, and then then you have the Astros playing against the Mariners and the Athletics and the poor Rangers, who have a good pitching staff, but, like, not like the Astros. And then you have, like, the NL West. I mean, come on, Dan, the NL West. I don't know what you want me to say, man. I the think NLS, guy. the Dodgers, the Dodgers have a real chance to win 50 games. Okay. I think the, the Dodgers, Dodgers have I... a real, <laughs> the Dodgers are going to eat the Padres. They're going to eat the Giants. The poor Rockies are going to get destroyed this season. How do you even care if you're the Rockies? Like, how, like if you're the Marlins, how do you go into 2020 into 2020 and be like, wow, we should care. How, like how, I'm just saying, man, I think that things are going to be a little bit, you know, a little bit more even overall. That's that's what I'm thinking. OK, you know, I will. I will give you this, Dan. I'll give you this. I, I could see a scenario where teams like the Giants, like, I don't know, the Reds. I don't know. Let me look at the American League, the, the Red Sox, the Indians say, you know what, guys, it's 60 games. Let's just put the pedal to the metal and throw 100 miles an hour for 60 games. And who knows? Maybe we'll make the put. You know, like, I can see that scenario happening where, like, for 60 games, someone is – one team is incredible. Because how many times have we seen in a regular season where one team's really good in the first half and then completely blows it in yeah, the second half? Wasn't that – Like the Mets. Yeah, the that, Mets do that every year. That was Seattle so, like, last year. Seattle, uh, like, d- didn't they just get off to, like, a crazy hot start? Yeah, they won like nine games in a row to open up the season. You know, like yeah, and then they 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 fell apart. I see what you're saying. Like, I definitely see that there could be teams like the White Sox. I think the White Sox are the perfect example of this team, where they're like, look at all these new pieces we have. All we got to do is win. I don't know, thirty-five to forty games, and we're in. Like, I think anybody over forty is automatically in. I think if you win thirty-five, you're praying to get in. If you win thirty, you're not getting in. Does that make sense? Yeah, that that does make sense. I just think that it's going to be a little easier for some of these like mid to lower tier teams to sneak a game or two off of the series of, uh, you know, a couple of opponents. And I I think it's going to be a little closer. We'll wrap this one in a bow. We'll come back to it. You could very easily prove me wrong. You know, teams could be streaky and I can come back here. And when we check the points, you could blow me out of the water. So what do we have up next? Well, up next is going to be actually a question that is kind of something we discussed a little bit when you talked about, division competitiveness you talked about you know what divisions actually have competition Mm. and this one is going to be which division collectively is going to be the winningest so which division is going to walk away with the best winning percentage i also think this is an easy one easy easy i think we all know this one it's going to be the nl central yeah i i 100 agree i mean i hate nl central last couple of years has just been amazing i hate to say it's because they're going against you know the al central but it's because they're going against the al central which with the exception of the twins who are kind of coming out of nowhere and the indians which are on the way down there's nothing in that indians are trending down hard yeah no i don't trust me i do agree with you nl central um in fact you know you were talking earlier about how the nl central is going to be extremely competitive between the four teams in the nl central we're not going to include the one minor league team that snuck into major league baseball somehow that is that is the Pirates because I, as a Pirates fan, I I've just I I've given up already. <laughs> what what can I say? But what franchise are you looking to migrate to for the next few years? I'm gonna let them woo me, okay? I'm a college transfer, okay? I'm like out there. Oh, uh, you're waiting waiting for someone to really impress you. I mean, I might as well just go to the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, it's all Pirates players, but just with good coaching. So 
hey, your, your boy, the Phillies, we got Neil Walker, we got Andrew McCutcheon, we got Josh Harrison. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's con- all your all-stars from a couple of years yeah, ago, con- from 2012. Con- congratulations. You have the 2013 Pirates lineup, and you're trying to win with that, plus Bryce Harper. So <laughs> That's a good team right there. But the the reason I'm bringing this up, actually, is that obviously there's a lot of different places that are doing like their own predictions and everything. And I will tell you this right now. So you're familiar with 538, correct? Yeah. And they, they like to do a lot of in-depth stats. They like to do a lot of ELO and all that stuff. They're uh-huh. currently predicting that the Cubs, Reds, Brewers, and Cardinals will all end within one game of each other. That's entirely possible. I was just going to tell you that it's to be a fan in the NL Central right now, this is going to be the world's most exciting season because I'm not kidding you, every game is going to matter. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm not kidding when I say every single game of the 60 games is a must-win game. I cannot imagine the stress level of a team like the Cardinals that knows, like, maybe they're the favorite but could also be easily beat. They have to go out and just win every game. I mean, basically, yeah, you have such a small window that if you, like, misstep once, it's it's going to be over. We went over this the last time we talked about baseball on the show. I said the first 15 to 20 games, if you're not in a winning record after that, your season's over. Exactly. Right? Like, that's the first quarter of your season. You're not getting that back. You know, if you start 5 and 15, you're done. It's time to go home. Even if you start 10 and 10, you're chomping at the bit. It's almost like, okay, we can't <laughs> lose anymore. You start 10 and 10, and if 40 wins like an automatic playoff berth, you can only lose 10 games for the rest of the season. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, gonna it's, it's, it's going to be, be intense. Insane. It's going to be ridiculously intense. The Phillies are going to come out and be like, oh, we can only lose 10 games for the rest of the season, and then they're going to lose 10 games to the Marlins. And you're like, oh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, or the Mets, and you're like, oh, not the Mets. <laughs> well, How about this one? Obviously, COVID is still a problem that we're, like, facing in our day-to-day lives. For for three points, just straight up yes or no, do you think we're going to get through the season without any further delays? I have an optimistic no. An optimistic no. So, like, a no, but you hope you're wrong. No. No, we're not going to have any more delays. Oh, okay. I just just don't think we're going to have any more delays. I think baseball's actually handled it really well. I I think their their whole – fiasco with the players and the owners was a a debacle and that was a complete you know atrocity how that all went down for three months like we could have been doing this two months ago if everybody you know was just stop being so greedy but like i think other than that baseball's handled it pretty well they're obviously taking all the precautions they can players in the stands the masks the you know all that nonsense of course um so I, I really do think it's going to be okay and they have all the backup players on reserve like there will be backup players to fill in people's spots you know, if people go down. Like so, Bartolo. Like Bartolo. <laughs> so I, I do think, like, we're going to make it through the season. And if we don't, I don't think they keep playing. Like, I think if we have a delay, like, the season's over. They're, they're scrapping it. We're already pushing, you know, the end of, you know, we're already pushing it here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So one final question. You knew this question was coming. This is the question. Who's going to win? the question, isn't it? It is quite literally the question, who is going to win the World Series? It's a a big old five-point question, although I'll give you three points if it's a team that makes the World Series and loses. But who's going to win it all? Yankees in six. Yankees? Oh, you're even doing in games, too. Yankees in six. Do I have to give you bonus points for calling it in six? Do you get bonus points for that? Uh, yeah, how do you not get bonus points for calling the exact amount of games? I mean, that's fair. I I only I only pick the team. I, I got to think if I want to if I want to attach games to it. Risk it for the biscuit. Yankees in six. Yankees in six over the Dodgers, my friend. I'm going Dodgers in seven. I'm going Dodgers in seven. I got I got to I I got to put a number on it. So I'm going to say in seven games. Hopefully, it's a good World Series because all the pitchers still have plenty of gas. So you got Yanks in six. I got Dodgers in seven, and uh, you know we'll. We'll see how this all shakes out. I, I think, can't wait to laugh later in the year when the Dodgers blow another World Series. It's going to be hilarious. Yeah, well, trust me. I, I, The last thing I want is the evil empire to reach, what, 28? Is it, is it, I it, know. It's would it be 28 now? <laughs> think about the lulls when the Dodgers lose again. Oh, my God. Well. I, I don't. It, it's just, like, when I look at these teams, like, I just don't see 
anybody beating the Dodgers, like it's, I hate to say that, but like they're just by far the best team and they were the best team last year. And then they got Mookie Betts and you're like, Holy cannoli. How did they do that? <laughs> like, and they got David Price somehow, like in, in a, in a salary dump for the Red Sox. Like even if, like, who knows, David Price could be playoff David Price and just, you know, come out and win nine, eight or nine games, and you're like, oh, my God. I mean, fair. Although David Price said he's not going to play. Oh, he's not playing? He, he's opted out. That. Oh, well, that stinks. <laughs> I was gonna say, you know, I also didn't recognize for a long time, and I'm a little bit ashamed. If we had not played this year, the Dodgers would have traded, like, four or five of their best prospects from Mookie Betts, who was never going to play for the Dodgers. <laughs> this is the last year of his contract. Uh, hey, you know, life life is, uh, well, I guess life's a bitch sometimes, huh? That would have been pretty funny. But, Ian, I think we did an excellent job. I know we agree on some things. We disagree on a lot of things. But, uh, you know, hey, that's, that's how this whole thing works. I'm looking forward to the season, looking forward to seeing – uh, how far into the basement my pirates can dig. Best of luck to your Phillies, of course. And I'm super. Oh yeah, I'm. I mean, of <laughs> course, you guys are facing. You know, you, you guys are in the one of the hardest schedules for baseball at this point. The mighty Marlins. Uh yeah. We'll we'll see how many games <laughs> Cheater can get on you guys. But regardless, I'm excited to to have you back once this is all said and done and see who's the winner of this. I'm sure you'll probably end up winning and then uh, you and Kalen can uh, can laugh in my face at uh, at my foolish mistakes. So with a lot of social upheaval in America nowadays, the Black Lives Matter movement and a lot of calls for social justice for many different reasons, there's been a lot of changes to sports, Kalen, and we've talked about it quite a bit already. Yeah, we really have. We hinted at this particular segment a little bit, how NASCAR's culture is changing and how NASCAR, weirdly enough, is on the front end of, you know, social change in sports. So to highlight on this, we decided to just kind of pull together a whole segment about how NASCAR is changing the culture of sports. Yeah, or at least NASCAR has just gone through a whole hell of a lot of change from where it used to sit back before the, the turn of the century. And who better to bring in? when we're talking about sports on racetracks, then then Hunter Connolly. Howdy, guys. Welcome. Uh, thank you for joining us today, Hunter. So this was actually inspired by the lunch we just got yes. <laughs> earlier today. Obviously, we're looking for segments about interesting or crazy things that people don't talk about. And you were talking about how in NASCAR, there has been a huge shift in culture over the course of the past decade plus. Well, you got to understand when NASCAR started, it was literally a bunch of bunch of moonshiners down in the south, souping up the cars to run away from the cops. And then over time, they were like, "Hey, my my souped up moonshine rig is faster than yours." No, it's not. They uh, cut out a circle in a cornfield and started racing. The sport for a very long time was just good old boys from the south, as as they call themselves, and it just was who's the fastest, and that's all really the sport was. Yeah, there were a lot of uh, social undertones. That came from the South, but that was that time period. Then NASCAR really, it got a TV contract in, in like the 80s, I think 84, 85. So now it was a national sport. It wasn't just in the Southeast of America anymore. Now it's a whole whole nation knows about the sport. So it slowly starts to grow and grow, gets more media presence, gets more sponsorships, gets more national attention. But it was a sport. It was just like football or baseball or soccer or any other sport. It was the players, meaning the drivers and their, their teams, the people who set up their cars and their crew chiefs. Their sponsors helped pay for that. But that's all the sponsors were. They just helped them pay to race. Then, to me, now this is all just my opinion. Now, then to me, the Great Recession of 2008 hit. And to me, that is when NASCAR as the sport died, essentially, and was re <laughs> resurrected by the businesses and corporations that once sponsored the teams they simply were like, here, we'll bankroll the sport, but this is a business now that happens to be a sport. And so the racing got cleaner. There was less beating and banging, so that way the sponsorships didn't get tore up and people could see them. There was less fighting and arguments and everything. Obviously, sometimes tempers flare and you do get a, an argument in the pits or whatnot. But for the most part, if you look back in the 90s and the 80s, there weren't fights anymore. There weren't 
these big, like, drawn-out arguments that lasted a while. That would, people would be wrecking each other every race. There was none of that anymore because the corporations and everything wanted everything to be clean, wanted everything to be PC. Drivers no longer were these loudmouth hot shoes that would get on the mic and stir up the crowd and get great reactions. Instead, they just say, oh, thanks for the sponsors, thanks to this, thanks to that. Uh, I'll see you all next week. And that's it. Clean cut, professional, in a PR world. So, Hunter, I want to get your, like, wide scope view mm-hmm. on this one. Because yeah. I think you can see this evolving in... Uh, my brain, of course, went to Formula One. And, yeah. you know, you think of the era of Ayrton Senna, Alan Prost. Those days are long oh. gone. Yeah, yeah. Never to return. Away. And... You know, those guys would get up in each other's faces. and yep. uh, there that, were can't, time... that can't happen in today's world. That right. can't happen in today's world because let's say, let's say, let's say you and I are drivers, Caleb. Let's say you're sponsored by, by Lowe's and I'm sponsored by McDonald's. McDonald's okay. and Lowe's aren't going to want to see you and I fighting. They aren't going to want to see some bad thing being tied to their name. Right. And because they now fully bankroll the sport we're in, and they fully bankroll my team, and without them, I wouldn't be able to do this at all. I can't do anything wrong. I can't say what's on my mind. I can't go out there and punch you in the face because you put me in the wall and, and, and took away my win. I have to walk up to you and say, hey, you know, that was I didn't like that move. Oh, okay, well, that's your opinion. And they have to walk away. Unless you yourself are a billionaire, fully bankrolling your own team, you can't do anything that you want. You can't do anything that you want to say or think. You have to do what they say you can do. Right. And so that's where I'm getting to with today's world where it doesn't surprise me that because I've been so in love with NASCAR my whole life and uh, the racing nowadays, I just, I'm not even all that into it. I like dirt track stuff now more, but still always been a huge NASCAR fan. It doesn't shock me at all that they are on the forefront of all these progressive movements because they are a business now. They're 100% corporate owned that just happen to drive race cars. Obviously, that's been like kind of the big macro change, mm-hmm. you know, especially when that turning point of the Great Recession, as you mentioned, kind of forced these type of corporate decisions to be made, connecting the dots a little bit. So along with the cleaner racing, along with the less rough and tumble way that the sport's carrying itself, that's, you know, the precursor to what we're seeing today with very progressive changes, with very socially conscious changes and doing things that are interesting to see because it makes sense from a corporate standpoint of mm-hmm. we want to not have our brand associated with something that we that people see as injustice, something that people see as inequality. But do you think that it's kind of causing a little bit of a disconnect in examples like the one truck series driver that quit over the changes where the Confederate flag is no longer allowed at NASCAR events? Do you think that some of these changes that are smart from a corporate standpoint are alienating some of the fans and do you think it's necessarily a bad thing or do you think it's something that you know is just kind of hey this is the way our world is our, our world shifting and you know you either get on board or you get run over like nascar before all the corporations really took place in 2008 nascar was a sport where it was run with an iron fist it was these are the rules if you don't like it go race somewhere else and so when the recession happened, a lot of the mom and pop teams, they can't race anymore. You don't see any more teams where it's a, a single owned. They have to have sponsors. They have to have corporations. So I fully understand why they're making all these rules and all these changes, because it's what needs to be done in today's society. But it 100% alienates the roots of the sport. But then that's a whole nother can of worms, because the roots of the sport, to a lot of people, they feel that they're not welcome there. So it's a very tough juggling act to move forward in a progressive way. You do need to do these acts, but keeping the history of the sport and where it came from and how it started, that's a tougher job. And that's a job I wouldn't want to have. I think that you can keep a lot of the history of the sport by allowing that rough and tough aspect back into Back yeah, into if, the if, sport. If sponsors would put it this way, if you watch a clip from, let's say, even the 90s, two guys racing hard, beating and bagging, cars are all torn up. You do an interview after the race. The one guy's all hot. He's angry. You go to today, someone gets in a wreck. They might be visibly upset, but they're not going to say anything out of line. 
They're not going to say anything. They're just going to say, oh, thanks to my sponsors. Real upset that we couldn't get a better finish for today and that we that we ruined this car. We'll be back at the track next week. So a, a method that kind of balances between the corporate cleanliness, as you were mentioning before, but mm-hmm. also still staying true to the roots of the sport may be readjusting some of the rough and tumbleness back towards like a middle ground. Yeah, allow, but, allow mm-hmm. heavier racing, harder racing to be yeah. not frowned upon or penalized. Because that's the other thing, too, is people started getting penalties. They would honestly give penalties to people for racing hard. It's very strange to see where the sport once was to where it is now. The other thing, too, with the invention of the Internet, they love to complain and they love to have their voice out there. So, and their voice can be heard now. So one thing that a lot of people do complain about is there is no stock left in stock car racing. The cars don't look anything like the factory car that comes off the line that you can buy at your local dealership. But that's been for years and well, years. Well, exactly. And that's years. what I'm saying. That's yeah. what I'm saying. People like to complain. That's been a thing for years. But another thing that people seem to think that is up with NASCAR is that they are trying to reach demographics that will never watch versus sticking with the people who have been watching their whole lives. So that's why a lot of people are getting upset about these rule changes and the direction NASCAR is going. But it is opening a door to a whole group of new fans who potentially might watch versus the diehards who once never missed a race. Do you think that some of these socially progressive moves that they made, the banning of the Confederate flag, the moment they had supporting Bubba Wallace in the face of a hate crime, do you think these moves are something that, you know, you you mentioned kind of opening the door for for new people to come into the sport. Do you do you think this is going to be a good opportunity for them to... We, we did talk about the tradition of the sport and where it came from, but to shake some of the racial undertones that the sport may have attracted? The, yes, I think that's the goal with all this, is to shake off that old feeling that NASCAR was just a bunch of racist rednecks that drove in circles. Now it's... They just drive in circles. People might still make jokes or whatever, be like, oh, you know, turn left. But there isn't necessarily any sort of racist undertones to it is what they're trying to shake off. And I fully understand that. In today's world, you need to, to shake off those sort of things that are tied to your brand, to your name. It's a very complicated situation because they're trying to bring in new fans because fan attendance before, even before coronavirus or no one was allowed in, it wasn't great. It was not at all what it used to be. That's, again, a product of them trying to create good racing. From what I can tell, the racing in the quote-unquote heyday of, of NASCAR in the 90s, you might have only had two or three great races all season, and the rest of the races were not really all that great. They were just a race. Some guy led almost all the laps or lapped the whole field or, you know, whatever, but that's racing. They've tried to make it into a, a highlight reel every race. And even if they were to accomplish that, that diminishes the whole purpose of a highlight reel. Then all of a sudden, that's just your normal stuff. Nothing stands out when something like that happens. Right. I think, personally, keep going with the progressive things because in today's world, as a business and everything and morally and everything, that's that's something they need to do. They need to keep going progressive if they want to stay in today's world. But I think something that could help bring back those fans that they might be losing because of their progressive actions is to go back to racing. They're the only form of racing I know that don't use a season-long points championship. It's a playoff. That's a stick-and-ball sport. That's not racing. Racing is from the first green flag of the season to the last checkered flag of the season. Whoever was the best finisher, the best racer, the best average racer of the year, they're the champion. Not, oh, you know, I did enough to make it to the playoffs, and then in the playoffs, I did enough to win the championship. You know, or in the playoffs, if, like, you have one bad race and someone puts you into the wall, the entire season's over. Yeah, you're over. Exactly. So, to me, that's not racing. There's a lot of things that they've changed that didn't work, and they didn't go back to what the old thing was. I mean, heck, if you remember high school science classes, when you do an experiment, you only change one thing to see what the result will be, and then you go back if it didn't work. NASCAR doesn't do that. They just change three, four, five things in a season. Oh, it didn't work, whatever, we'll keep it, we'll change some more stuff, we'll keep changing stuff, we'll keep changing stuff. They don't give it a long enough time to process them to try out. 
so I think there's just a lot of things going on with that sport that that it's just it's a it's a hot topic for for fans because a lot of people are torn about a lot of different issues with the sport. Where do you see the sport going in like the next decade? That's a great question. <laughs> I really don't know. Um, like that real that's the million dollar question. To be completely honest with you, that's probably what they're asking themselves every day. And I, and I can tell that, you know, as, as soon as you're like, well, that's a good question. You had no idea how to respond to that one. No, I don't, because the way they're going, I don't know. I I think they need to try to not necessarily go back to the roots as in social things, but I think they need to go back to the roots as in go back to short tracks, go back to local tracks, stop going to these cookie cutter mile and a half tracks that cover half the season. You, there's there's about 15 races a year, I'd say, that even though they're in different states and they're technically different tracks, they're all essentially the same track. Yeah, they're all the same. So for about oval. half of the year, I can watch one race and assume who's going to finish well in those races. When you watch a mile and a half race, there's about 10 drivers that you know for a fact, as long as they don't get wrecked out or the car doesn't blow up or whatever, they're going to come in the top 10. You go to a short track like Martinsville or you go or Bristol. You don't know who's going to come in even the top five. You know a few drivers who should. Like Matt DiBenedetto last year was racing for a backmarker team using three four-year-old parts compared to everyone else, and he almost won the race. He led like 150 laps. He almost won the race. That doesn't happen at a mile-and-a-half track. So I think to bring the excitement back, you need to allow beating and banging. You need to allow the bump and run. You need to allow drivers to show emotion and to have a personality when they're on the mic. Obviously, still thank your sponsors, thank your team. But if someone did something in that race that I don't like, they should be allowed to say it. And it just, everything's way too clean right now. It's all way too polished. Again, that's not what racing is. Racing is going out there, risking your life, and then laughing about it. It's not a business meeting. Right. You're not supposed to get out of the car and and act like you didn't even just run 500 miles. You're supposed to get out of the car, have a smile on your face, make some jokes, talk about what you should have done, what you could have done, and then maybe be a little angry about someone that, that put you in the wall or whatever. There's a lot of things with with NASCAR that could change, but I think what they're doing in today's society is the right things. It may not be what a lot of the fans like, but I do think that from a business model and from a society model, it is the right things to be doing. We're gearing back up for the restart to the NBA season, at least as long as it actually does restart. And what better way, Kalen, than to look at a funny little scenario that I thought of, okay? Okay. What if some teams in NBA history had access to a time machine and can go grab some of their players from their prime? Now, this would be interesting. We did talk about players that we forgot were teammates. So whether it's, a uh, you know, a old... Hakeem Olajuwon with Vince Carter or an old Shaq with anybody there have been some moments where you look at players who are playing a little bit on discount because they are past their prime and really teams are picking them up to maybe try to be that guy to get them over the hump maybe it just ends up being the guy to fill some seats and sell out some arenas but there's definitely like kind of a weird game when these elite players end up doing the the goodbye tour and you get some weird scenarios of oh yeah that player played for us for two seasons at the end of his career what i want right. to do is i want to see what would happen or at least get your opinion kalen if we took a classic time machine gave it to these teams so they can go back and grab the the elite version of that player they signed for that season okay so what i got is i went back and i found five teams that i think are worth talking about what it would be like if we got the elite in their prime version of these players and just kind of get your reactions to them and maybe, you know, at the end, see which great overall team you'd want in the first place. Okay. So, Kalen, are you ready for the first team I'm bringing to the table? Yeah, sure. Let's go. So the first team I'm looking at bringing to the table is the 2013 Los Angeles Lakers. So in real life, the squad went 45 and 37 they were good for 7th in the West, and of course they went on to lose a little bit later on. But on this squad were a couple of, well, let's just say a starting lineup that would be pretty formidable if the 
13 Lakers could go back and grab these players in their prime. What you would look at for a potential starting lineup would be Steve Nash, Kobe Bryant, Ron Artest, Pau Gasol, and Dwight Howard. So Jeez. So what do you think a squad would be if we had the 06 Steve Nash, the 06 Kobe Bryant, the 05 Meta World Peace, but of course back in that day, Ron Artest, the 07 Pau Gasol, and the 09 Dwight Howard? Oof. Oof. That's, that's a championship team right there, no question about it. That's, uh, wow. That would be a powerhouse right there. At the very least, better than 7th in the West. No, I mean that's like that's a first second seed team right there. Is mm-hmm. what you're what you were speaking right now. But the real real question would be how would that chemistry look, right? Cuz Wizards Dwight Howard was a bit of a ball hog. I, I shouldn't say he was a bit of a ball hog, but he he owned the paint, right? And you know, Pau Gasol in his prime also like to take control of the pain in, on the offense. Like it, it went to him every time it went down inside. Steve Nash was just one of the ultimate distributors who could also score when given the opportunity. And I mean, you know, primetime Kobe's primetime Kobe. So mm-hmm. you know what you're getting there. Really, I would be intrigued to see how the Dwight Howard Pau Gasol relationship would work out. Yeah. For the, for the two big guys on the court. Yeah. Cause I mean, they both are, they're both centers, first of all. So it's not like one's a little bit smaller than the other one. They're both, they're both big, tall dudes, both big and strong dudes. And I don't know that I think they'd be fighting each other in the paint. Yeah. You think that they would just be like, you think this team has too much of like a, a chemistry issue to actually be like a real thing. I think it would get the job done. Like it would get deep into the playoffs. Would it win? It's definitely a championship contending team, but you know, chemistry would it mesh because if we're doing what i think we're doing we're literally just like bringing you know prime time dwight howard to this lakers team he had a bit of an ego going for him so i I don't know if he's gonna play nice or not i mean yeah at at the end of the day you're also bringing his raw numbers and for a lot of these players the raw numbers are a lot of points per game (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah so with all that being said you do you think this is for sure like you know, drop this in basically any season and you're going to see a championship just about drag and drop it in 2012. And, you know, I'd love to see the numbers or actually run in 2013 because, yeah, you know, the competition in 2013 for them was, you know, the Miami Heat with LeBron James. That would be a good that'd be good to see. Actually, I would love to see that on a sim in 2K or something like that. You know, you also have the San Antonio Spurs in 2013 that they'd have to face off against. You know, the Grizzlies were were pretty big contenders back then, too. You know, and the the Bulls were also in it. Of course, this is not kind of kind of in it. Yeah, I mean, these are these are not the uh, the Derrick Rose Bulls that you were hoping for. So, yeah. How about we go to a team that you might be biased about? (laughs) I'm assuming a Boston Celtics roster now. This is a Boston Celtics roster. We're going to see what you think of if we took the 2011, uh, 2010, 2011 Boston Celtics and put all those players in their prime. So you're looking at a starting lineup that would be the 2008 Rajon Rondo, the 2007 Ray Allen, the 2006 Paul Pierce, the 2004 Kevin Garnett, and the 2000 Shaquille O'Neal. Wow, we're going to pull Shaq in too. Shaq's in this one too, yeah. Wow, okay. I mean, this of course, is, Shaq's this is a heavy. One. I mean, yeah, he was on the roster. So real life, they went 56 and 26, third in the Eastern Conference. That's just how pitiful is that, that that's third in the Eastern Conference? Can we talk about that for a second? Well, I mean, these were, you know, players past their prime. Not this is out of prime. Rajon Rondo out of prime. Kevin Garnett, you know. Yeah, but they were third in the East. That's bad. Anyway, what are your thoughts about this squad? Do you think this squad is better or worse than that Lakers squad we just talked about? Mm, that's a tough call. I think this squad is better. And that's okay. not my bias. That's not my bias. Sure, sure. It's not. It's not. I think I think this roster would more quickly and more easily find their roles. Okay. So to elaborate on that thought, Rajon Rondo obviously already automatically know his role. His role in his prime even was... 
you know, to be a distributor of the ball, not really score. Like I've seen Rajon Rondo turn turn down wide open jumpers before, and it's just like, why? KG would just, you know, be KG and be a brute and, you know, go after people like he always did in his prime, even when he wasn't in his quote-unquote prime when he was with the Celtics. Shaq, I mean, 2000 Shaq was just a monster. Like, that's that's a guy Rajon Rondo just is like, here, have the ball, see you later. And, you know, <laughs> Shaq, in shape Shaq was just down the court slamming down and breaking the backboard. In like, shape Shaq. Yeah, man. That's a thing. <laughs> look at look at the magic days. That's a thing. The idea of skinny Shaq. He was though. It's so it's wild when you see skinny Shaq and you're like, what happened when you went to LA? Anyway, you know Ray Allen, one of the best shooters of all time, would fit his role of you know being a shooter and just doing what he could from the three point line. I mean, mid range, etc. You know, we were talking with the the thirteen Lakers like their personalities changed, you know, from their prime to where we are now. The 2011 Celtics, you're just saying that if we pick these players out of their prime, like we described, you know, Rajon Rondo in 08, you know, Kevin Garnett in 04, stuff like that, they would basically have the same chemistry that they did in 2011. I think it would take a little bit of time, but I think they would figure it out. Okay. See, the one thing that this team doesn't have, and I might be underestimating Shaq's personality at this moment in time in 2000s um one thing that this team really doesn't have is like an overarching alpha ego if you will right like dwight oh, howard definitely ego. shack though yeah well that's, that's definitely what i'm getting shack, at. though yeah but i don't think see here's my thing though with, with with shack in this scenario right dwight howard his ego his ego didn't i can't say his ego didn't match his talent because for a time it did and when we're pulling him from his prime, it kind of did. But we also have Kobe on that roster, right? And Kobe's going to want to do the same exact thing. So that's conflicting. That's conflict on the floor right there, right? Dwight's going to want the ball all the time. Kobe needs the ball all the time because he's the guy who was actually the better scorer. Mm-hmm. With Shaq, if you take 2000 Shaq and put him on that roster, he is the best scoring option on that roster, hands down. Like, he's better at scoring than prime Paul Pierce ever was. He'd be better at scoring than Ray Allen, prime Ray Allen ever was. I'm not saying that those guys aren't going to pop off every once in a while, right? Like Shaq might have an off night, and then Ray Allen hits like seven threes, and everyone's like, whoa, he was on fire tonight. He couldn't miss. Not going to say KG isn't going to go off one night on this team, right? They'll trade around. That's what good teams do. And that's part of the chemistry is like, when I'm having a bad night, I'm not forcing it. I think young Shaq was smart enough to realize that and that he would, you know, not necessarily be a distributor, but not make himself the focus of the evening, if that makes sense. Well, another squad to throw in here. All right. So you're, you're, you're mulling on the, the 2010, 11 Celtics and the 12, 13 Lakers. I'm going to throw in the 17, 18 Pelicans in real life. The squad went 48 and 34, and they were sixth in their conference. And this squad you're looking at, Again, an 08 Rajon Rondo. You're looking at a 2019 Drew Holiday, a 2012 Josh Smith, a 2018 Anthony Davis, and a 2017 Boogie Cousins. Okay. This roster's still not that good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be honest. It's still not that good. (laughs) This one you're just completely discounting? Uh, Look, it would be a good team. Um, but AD's back still really going to hurt. That's all I'm going to say about this one. Um, mm, okay. Am I wrong? Am I wrong looking at that? Are you asking me? Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I feel like, you know, slightly more contribution from from Cousins and Rajon Rondo, I believe, would help alleviate Anthony Davis a little bit. Yeah, but Rajon Rondo, like... He- in Rajon Rondo's prime, you could expect an extra four or five points a night. You can't, like, look at that and go, yeah, he's going to give me an extra 12 points now that he's in his prime. Like, that's just not a thing. He just doesn't score. All right. In his prime, <laughs> on is, the Celtics. Are you just discounting the squad entirely? Is this squad just out of the running? I wouldn't even put this, like, in a top five squads ever for the Pelicans. Well, yeah. Oh, oh, oh for the Pelicans. <laughs> <laughs> like for themselves, I don't even think this is a top five squad. I think their squad they have now is arguably better than that squad was. 
with the going back in time and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Well, I mean, their their current squad with all the young bucks, I think, yeah. is, is better than even with the going back in time. Boogie Cousins, Josh Smith, <laughs> and <laughs> Anthony Davis, and Rajon Rondo. <laughs> <laughs> just, just Josh Smith. God, jeez. Fine, the fine. Man, we'll the be... man in his prime was average. Like, I don't know what you want me to say. <laughs> fine, we'll go to another squad that I think has much better flashback players than that one. Okay. Okay. The 2010-2011 Dallas Mavericks. Ooh, this in, is a good one. In real life, they went 36-30, and 30, were 7th in the West. So for this squad, going back in time, we're looking at an 3 Jason Kidd. Yep. An 3 Jason Terry. An 1 Vince Carter. An, oh. An 6 Sean Marion. And, of course, an 7 Dirk. Dude, this, that roster would be fire. Be so good. Like... You got Terry and Kid at the like literal bitter end of their careers, right? Mm-hmm. And also Vin- Vince on what you thought was the bitter end of his career. Re- rest in peace his career as he is now finished. Oh, um, you're you're talking about t- in and- 2011 terms. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I was going to say no one in 2001 was thinking Vince Carter was done. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking in 2011 their current roster is like, all right, you got all these dudes that are really good on the tail end of things. So like I'm thinking of that, right? And the view of the roster at that time. And then, you know, that opinion of it actually being realized now because you have Jason Kidd, who is one of the best dual point guards, arguably, of all time with distributing really well and scoring effectively. And then Terry, who was, I mean, in his prime was just, he was great. I mean, he was, I'm not going to say he was anything over the top amazing, but he was a very good player. Dirk Nowitzki in his prime, who actually did in his prime get the Mavs to a championship. Not on his own on his own, but a lot of the weight was kinda, on his shoulders. Kind of on his own. Yeah. I mean, in all honesty, it was the Dirk show. And then Vince Carter would just like, hey, I'm here for 360s. Let's go. <laughs> so that would be, I would buy that. I would pay for that ticket. Be like, sign me up. I'll be there. Season pass, please. Like, Where do they holy sit? Heck. Where do they sit amongst the? Because I'm not even going to include the Pelicans. How how? Where do they sit amongst <laughs> the other two squads we talked about today? Thirteen Lakers and eleven Celtics. Currently, I'd rank the Celtics first. Okay, bias the coming Mavs, in. Uh, yeah, a little bit. I <laughs> honestly, in my opinion, I think the winner of the Mavs and Celtics rosters would be the number one. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, they're pretty even, but I'm going to put the Celtics up first because I know that chemistry works. And it works well because a lot of those guys that are on that roster still won a championship together. And then you have the Mavs roster, which is this team that really had big names but couldn't do anything. So I don't really know if that would work in prime or not, you know. So I'd put that second, the Lakers third, and then the Pelicans like 12th. Well, there's one more squad to talk about. Okay. This squad went 47 and 35 in real life. They were eighth. In their conference, meaning they just barely squeaked into the playoffs. Yeah, they did. It is the 17-18 Minnesota Timberwolves. Oh. So this squad in their prime is a 2011 Derrick Rose, a 2008 Jamal Crawford, a 17 Jimmy Butler, a 17 Andrew Wiggins, and a 2020 Carl Anthony Towns. Okay. Interesting interesting there's a lot going on here yeah um, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces here yeah there's a lot of things there's a lot of things that are happening on this starting lineup here right because believe it or not jimmy butler and prime derrick rose have very similar play styles i am not surprised at all by that yeah they're they're very similar players i think derrick rose was better at it because he was way more athletic um obviously because he won an mvp and jimmy butler hasn't Ooh, there's a lot happening here Carl Anthony Towns would not be see here. He would not put up his 2020 numbers on this roster because the only reason he's put up those kind of numbers now is because nobody of serious note is really on the Timberwolves right now, or what I would call a higher caliber talent than cat. Not that he's not a high caliber talent. I'm just saying like, he's the only option. So they have to run through him. Exactly, exactly. Like, you don't have Jimmy Butler there anymore. Like, he, you can't run through Jimmy Butler anymore. He's gone because he got pissed. 
and couldn't play nice literally with this squad that we're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really the three pieces I'm looking at are Cat, D Rose, and Jimmy Butler. And those three just don't aren't gonna play nice. Derek's gonna just take control. Jimmy Butler's gonna get pissed and request for a trade, and Carl Anthony Towns is not gonna put up the numbers that you think he's gonna put up because Derek Rose is gonna run the offense. So I see a mid season explosion here. <laughs> that's, that's what i'm seeing right now so even even worse than the the actual real life you know drama that this team faced oh no this team this team faced literal mid-season well, explosion because jimmy butler requested a trade halfway yeah, through the year I'm, he was I'm, like yo i'm bouncing guys i'm out of here i'm aware but i'm just saying that you know with uh the time shift for a lot of these players it would be just as bad Oh, yeah. It would honestly, for Jimmy Butler, it would make the problem worse because he would be playing at his best and be getting less touches. So that would just for him as a player, that would just eat at him and, you know, destroy him. Like, look at him on the Sixers. He he was on a team of like guys that were equal his caliber and he just didn't want to resign with them because why? Because it wasn't the Jimmy Butler show, you know, so that's going off on another tangent but there's a lot of headbutting on this roster as well so final rankings for these time twisted teams for for us pulling players out of their prime and dropping them onto these subpar rosters how are you ranking them i'm gonna go uh, same order as before for the top ones you know celtics celtics lakers mavs then these the t-wolves and then the pelicans Okay, so Celtics, then Lakers, then Mavs. So you're yep. saying that the prime Dwight Howard and prime Kobe Bryant are still going to hold it together better than a combination of prime Sean Marion, Vince Carter, Dirk Nowitzki, Jason Kidd, and Jason Terry. Just like sheer yeah. willpower? Did I get my order mixed up? You said Celtics, Lakers, Mavs. Oh, I meant... Oh, let me do that over again. <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping this part in. <laughs> <laughs> No, the order should be Celtics, Mavs, Lakers, T-Wolves, Pelicans, not even close. You know, thank God, because there was like a bunch of different Lakers squads that I could have pulled from and and done flashbacks for. Be glad I didn't pick more than one Lakers squad because you get extra confused. Duh. Look, look, my brain is on an off day today. Let Just let it be. <laughs> <laughs> And that will do it for us here on the pregame podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter to keep up with what's going on throughout the rest of the week at pregame underscore pod. Also, don't forget to send us your questions, comments, and discussion, anything you want us to talk about on the show, to our mailbag, the pregame mailbag at gmail.com. Well, that'll do it for myself. I am Dan Zaleski, Kalen Wolfskills, the other guy you've been listening to during the show, and we will see you guys next week. Game podcast is produced by Dan Zaleski and Kalen Wolfskill, with special guest Hunter Connolly and Ian Roth. Theme music by High on You, a Ruby Media production. <laughs>